Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 300 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I am Brian Salvatore. Who are you? Uh, Chris McShane. And we have a room full of Mets fans, some Amazing Avenue contributors, some not yet Amazing Avenue contributors, some former Amazing Avenue contributors, but all Mets fans. We're here to talk about the Mets. Um, we are at... If Chris says it, McKellar. If they say it, Mickler uh, Brewery at City Field. Um, we're having some good beer and some good food, and we have a nice gang of folks here. And we're going to talk about all things Mets. But first of all, Chris. Yeah. How many podcasts of the 300 have you say you're on? Um, well, so in the early, the first three were Eric and uh, Eric, Eric and, and who, somebody. Jeff? I think Eric and Rob. Eric and, and Rob, Rob okay. for the first three. Yeah. And then we had the Robcast and Jeff Paternostro era. There right. was probably a hundred. one eighty-one, I think. 
What's that, somewhere in that ballpark? Okay. So something like that. So I, I, I filled in occasionally when right. either Jeff or Rob had obligations. Uh-huh. And then Rob um, apparently still exists, but he... <laughs> That's rumored at best. Right. When he, yeah. when he left Amazing Avenue, he, he left. Like, he, he ghosted, would, man. He is <laughs> gone, man. He, he answered my email about this. Did he? Yeah. You didn't tell me that. He's, a, he's out of town, so he couldn't come oh. here today. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, so... So Rob Rob left and like really left and then it was basically yeah <laughs> yeah you guys so. couldn't hear that but Jeff Pattonastro just said God bless him for getting off the internet a sentiment we all reflect and uh, appreciate yes so uh, so we you know we got to that point and then Jeff and I uh, were were primarily co-hosting uh, for a, for a long time with Jeff being mm-hmm. the, obviously the the primary host of the show right um, and I think you know I think a lot of it early on was. The, the two of them had really set us up to a point that people actually listened to us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and, and sort of developed the brand and everything. Uh, Hashtag and then, brand. Yes. Yeah. And then when Jeff went on to uh, bigger and, and better things, uh, you know, it was uh, we, we transitioned to the two of us. So yeah. I, I would guess in total I've probably done 120 or 30. I put myself around that number, too. I think I've missed only one show since I took over as – sort of acting host and I was on a few times beforehand so let's say 120 125 yeah and so I think Jeff is still the reigning king and he'll be on the show in a little while he's smirking at me right now as I'm talking about this um but we're gonna bring up a guest in just a second but so tell us about the Twitter poll we ran this week that is uh causing some controversy among the Amazing Avenue folks yeah so I I would say um I just don't understand, you know, you go into an offseason and you've been conditioned to expect less from your team and, you know, expect them to not spend money. But you get into a spot that one of the best players of this generation, uh, potentially one of the best players of our lifetimes, is out there. He's 26. He doesn't cost anything other than money. Um, you know, he doesn't even have a compensation pick attached to him. Which is uh, crazy. <laughs> right. So Manny Machado is out there. He's available. Uh, I don't think there's a team in baseball that couldn't put him into their lineup and, and you know, put him in the field every day and make their team better. Uh, so, you know, we, we've kind of been very pro the Mets should sign Machado because, of course, every, every <laughs> fan base. Because logic, yeah. Right. Every every fan base that's out there should want their team to sign him or Bryce Harper because there's no reason not to. There's so much money in the game, uh, and and we've been promoting these ideas. And you know, you, you try to get a sense of what people are thinking. And there are a lot of people. Uh, met the Twitter poll you mentioned, you know, people who pay attention to us. Almost forty five percent of them. I'm trying to get an updated Think number now for that. So. They, that they don't want the Mets to sign him using uh, – Fangraphs does their sort of, you know, uh, crowdsourced thing, uh, top 50 free agents. It's a nice guideline. You know, usually it gets pretty close to what guys get. So 10 years, $330 million, and there are a lot of Mets fans – who seem to not want that. We are currently at 46% of fans yeah, who voted in our poll do so not yeah, want Machado. So we, I, I just – I can't understand that. I can't wrap my head around it. Like, you, you can make excuses for the Wilpons, I guess, if you want to, but I don't. You're a fan. That's not your role. You should well, want the best. That's my point. I can understand that there are considerations from the team side about spending the money and 
whatever other horseshit reasons they come up with. But from a fan perspective, why wouldn't you want them to sign him? Is Todd Frazier's one year that important to you? Yeah, Green Man is not here today, and we're all a little sad about that. We but, are uh, very sad about that, yeah. But yeah, Green Man made that point, I think, in response to somebody. Essentially, you know, one year of Todd Frazier should not stop you from doing anything. And it's one year at $9 million, $8 million? Yeah, eight, eight or nine. <laughs> it doesn't matter, as Jeff right. says. But yeah, eight or $9 million, like that's... Right. You know, the Mets have played far, uh, paid far more money to players to do nothing. Yes, absolutely. So if Fraser is just a bench guy, so be it. You or, know you know, or trade. Uh, right. Yeah, well, even, if you, even if you can't. Trade him, or, or let him play first base every now and then. Or sure. let him give Machado a day off. Or if Machado really has to get this shortstop thing out of the system once a week, let Frazier play third once a week when Machado plays short. I don't give a shit. It's not that much money. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So, yeah, that's um, – that that's sort of the state of where we're at. You yeah. know, we well, talked a lot about Brody Van Wagenen last week. Yeah. On episode two ninety nine. Uh, but now for the the extravaganza. Yes. I know. I know. We have uh, at least one of our our our, uh, our writers is passionate about the Machado. Yes. Topic. She, she lives in Baltimore. She's wearing a home run apple hat. Her name <laughs> is Big Al. Allison McKay. Come on up, Allison. Come talk to us for a second. Yeah. Clap. Yeah. Clap. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Please clap. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, Allison, um, give us like the elevator pitch of why you would want Manny Machado on the Mets. Don't just say he's good. <laughs> so, um, he's a right-handed bat, which the Mets desperately need because with Yohannes Cespedes out, potentially the whole year, maybe most of the year, we'll see, depending on his recovery time frame. Um, the Mets don't really have a lot of uh, right-handed bats right now. They're like overwhelmingly left-handed, so that's a huge reason. Um, B, they suck at defense big time, and Manny Machado does not suck at defense at all. He's really good at it. Um, and C, um, he's actually, I know that this is a controversial thing to say, but he's been a great clubhouse presence in Baltimore um, the years he's been there. I know that that's different from what other teams view him as, what the media views him as, um, what potentially you know his coaches view him as. I'm, those are different conversations that we can have, but – overwhelmingly his teammates in Baltimore think that he's a great clubhouse presence. Um, and the Mets are kind of in a period of transition where I know that these intangible things are kind of overrated a lot, but, you know, bringing a big star like that into a, into the fold who has, you know, that sort of power and that sort of clubhouse presence is a big deal. I feel like there's also this bit of historical synergy with Omar Minaya coming into the team and bringing in Beltran and Pedro and sort of using his first year as GM to springboard the Mets into something new. It seems like if Brody wants to make a splash, what better way to make the splash inside of Machado? There's no better way. <laughs> There's really no better way. I mean, there are arguments out there that you can make a splash without Machado. Yeah, you can, but like it's way easier to just side in Machado. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of feel like we've forgotten as Mets fans what Mike Piazza meant, not only as a trade Amen. acquisition, but then as somebody who they kept around. You know, that, that was uh, – for people who do pay attention to that stuff, uh, and I hate to – oh, man, history. Ugh. It is history at this point, but uh, it, it makes me feel a little old. But, uh, but yeah, it, you, you get into that, and, and you, you look back at it, and you're like, yeah, obviously that sort of changed this whole, the whole tone of the Mets – and Machado is, is just as good a player as he was at that time. 
he's he's just as good a player I think as Beltron was at the time that he signed with the Mets. And you know these are uh, these opportunities don't come around all that often. He's 26 years old. He's a franchise player. Well, that's my point, too, is that, you know, it's rare that a player comes along with this level of talent at this age without a comp- without a compensatory pick. Like, th- th- everything's lining up right now that any team that's willing to back up the dump truck full of money will sign him. And as a young Hispanic player, you kind of have no market better than New York. Like, really, this is the place he could thrive and while the Yankees may be interested, the Mets are a much more natural fit for him. It just seems like a no-brainer. Does anybody in the room disagree with signing Machado? <laughs> and and one of the things, too, uh, is just that their payroll commitments, you know, they, they will use, and they already have started to use, the fact that they have, if you take arbitration raises and, and guaranteed salaries, that, oh, 2019 already looks pretty close to 2018. And that's true. You go much beyond that, and there's almost nothing, and it's not. We're, we're a couple years out from it being literally zero. You know, they don't have money committed to guys, and hopefully we get into, and we'll get into some of this stuff uh, a little later in this episode, I think. But if you're going to make a foundation of your team and commit big money to guys, players like Machado and Jacob deGrom and hopefully Conforto, and if Nimmo really blossoms, or if he maintains what he's blossomed into, I guess I should say, you know, it, you want to pay players who are good. And that, that goes back to the thing I think Van Wagen has said that was the most encouraging. I, I want to reward guys who are good players. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Allison, you've lived in Baltimore for how long? Um, I've lived in Baltimore since 2013. Okay, so you've seen a good chunk of Machado's prime in Baltimore, way more than we see it here in New York. What does he seem like as an everyday player, as a face of the franchise like give us sort of the uh what you think are the most important things that maybe we don't see every day as new yorkers so he's absolutely a franchise player um i think that he's not i don't want to conflate him with the david wright type because he's not that he's not the guy that's going to stand in front exactly no one's david wright he's not going to stand in front of the media every day and give you your good boy responses to everything he has a personality, he has a temper, and I'm not going to say he doesn't, and I'm not going to shy away from that. But what I will push back on is this narrative that he is somehow a problem player and not worth the contract. He is 1,000% worth the contract because he works really hard under the right leadership. Um, I think he respected the hell out of Buck Showalter, and I think that was a big part of his development as a player. Early on, I think that his temper was a problem the time that he threw the bat at that that was a problem, and I'm not going to pretend or make excuses for that or say that was okay because that was not okay. Um, but, you know, he's matured since then, and I think that the playoffs put this huge spotlight on everything that he matured from and was a really small sample size compared to he had none of those problems on a daily basis in Baltimore. After the bat incident, it was really just nothing until the Dustin Pedroia incident, which the Red Sox escalated, and I can get into that later or not talk about it but that there's another side to that story that we're not talking about that the media is not talking about um Manny Machado will work really hard once prodded by the right leadership he needs good leadership to work hard um and he is not lazy that is the wrong word to say but he needs motivation and he needs the right um players and the right people around him 
to get him the best out of him. And I think that the Mets can do that. And I think that M Mickey Callaway is capable of that um, if we give him a chance to do it. Um, and I think that the Mets have other guys who can serve as mentors to Machado, like Cespedes, for example, and others, um, who can bring the best out of Manny Machado. And I think that he's absolutely 1,000% worth that contract. He is an, an all-star glove, a gold glove caliber, third baseman, and an above average shortstop. Um, and he is the bat that we need. Um, he is, he comes up big in big situations. He does not shy away from the spotlight, nor does he shy away from clutch situations. Um, he, he's just, he's a fantastic player and actually underrated, fantastic with the fans as well. He stays late to sign autographs. He is that guy. Um, so that's something that I think that the media is not portrayed about him, that he is, you know, really great with the fan base and Baltimore unabashedly loves him and is loyal to him. I, I, I got nothing else. That's the <laughs> <laughs> it sounds, sounds good to bring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's uh, I, some of that is stuff that, uh, you know, the fan side of it, I don't think is that's something I didn't even realize about him. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the examples that we've been familiar with in recent years would be Curtis Granderson and Nimmo, I think, you know, these super fan-friendly guys. Right. Um, and there's probably some other Mets that have been that way, too. I don't want to gloss over them but those two are famously you know the, yes the guys who will take every selfie and stick around and do all mm -hmm. that um so yeah and I, I feel like for a fan base that has been desperate to fill that david wright shaped hole that has just been naturally there the last few years having a guy who is willing to take those photos and to be that fan ambassador is a bigger deal than it probably should be but that's the reality of the situation right now yeah I wouldn't call him the media ambassador, but I would call him the fan ambassador. And I think that there was a, an example of that that got kind of a lot of attention in, uh, when after he became a Dodger, when that fan, I think, caught his home run, I think it was, and he, like, walked it back to him and himself and, like, brought the fan into the clubhouse. It was a young kid. The kid freaked out. It was just such a nice thing to see. That's, like, one of my favorite things about baseball and really about any sport is seeing the, the young fans and the, the players interacting with them, players like Trout, who are really good at these things, the superstars. And I think Manny Machado is really good at that. Um, he's not the same sort of media presence that Wright has. He can be a little blustery with the media, but I think that a lot of what has been portrayed about him has been the result of other teams knowing that he has this temper and they provoke him and they purposely poke at and knowing that he'll respond negatively to it and they take advantage of that. I also think that for New York fans, a fiery personality is a good thing. I, th I think Mets fans like it when a player has a bit more of a personality. You know, and look, God bless David Wright. We're not here to, to, to defame the good name of David Wright. But he could be a pretty pat media answer most of the time. To have somebody who is willing to speak his mind a little bit more, I think the fan base could rally around a player like that. Do you agree, Chris? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's the kind of guy that, you know, people will say, I think even Dodgers fans in their short time, you know, you, you'd hate him if he was on the other team, but he's on your team and you love him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you look at the stuff from the postseason, stepping on the, the ankle of the first baseman whose name I should remember from Milwaukee. Hey, yeah, Jesus Aguilar. Uh, that wasn't cool. Thank you, Jack. You know, that, like that, that, of all the stuff, that one is like, okay, that, don't do that. that. That was bad. But it doesn't make me, you know, think any less of the right. prospect of signing him and having him on my favorite team. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's – uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Has- so, hashtag Simon Machado, I guess, is what we're going <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, I, I guess sort of end this segment. I want to take a sort of a poll of the room here. Out of out of 100%, what do you all feel is the the accurate level of chance the Mets sign him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is anybody Allison's over saying zero percent? Is anybody yeah. over one percent? Okay, we heard we heard five percent. We heard, we, heard, we, heard we got ten. We got ten. We got two tens. <laughs> two and a half. <laughs> two and a half from Rich Staff. Anyone else? No. I I I I'm an optimist. I I can't put it over five. But imagine waking up to that news. Oh, man. Don't put that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I would cry. I would cry. Don't put that in my head. Don't. Well, thank you, Allison, for joining yes. us for this for Machado <laughs> Chat. I'm sure this will not be the last Machado Chat of the offseason. Are you ready to turn this over? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I know, I don't know. I, if we're talking about percentages, I'd say I know about 10% of what these two know about the Mets minor leagues. <laughs> Um, yeah, sure. I, I think even being people who who write for the site, uh, we learn a lot from them. Absolutely, in terms of you know paying attention to this stuff. Uh, I grew up on minor league baseball, but you watch it in a different way when you when you hear about it and read about it from people who do it all the time and really know what they're talking about. And uh, we've been fortunate over the years to have you know uh, two people one one who has uh, again. Uh, mo- moved on <laughs> but uh you know we've had uh, and rob was also one of the people who, who's been with the uh in that group uh, on the podcast have we said rob's full name yet uh, no it's rob cast <laughs> rob that's cast. it okay cool. he doesn't have a full name anymore got it rob but cast. uh but yeah no it's <laughs> <laughs> yes, underscore yes. Rob cast. uh but yeah no so uh we, we've been a, in a fortunate spot to have people like these educating us and educating our listeners and readers on you know what's going on in the minor league system, so I will defer to them on on all of this. Absolutely. So please welcome back to the podcast, Steve Saipa and Jeffrey Paternostro. Is that really how you pronounce your last name, Steve? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So what do you want to talk about? I'm in the midst of writing the Mets list for Baseball Perspectives right now, which, in one of my dumber moves, will be not paywalled and free for all to read. So RIP. <laughs> RIP my mentions. Uh, I guess, I guess we'll phrase it, frame it this way, since it's primarily an off-season discussion today. You know, the idea that the Mets can't go out and get a top-tier trade piece, since everyone apparently is selling now, whether it's the Mariners or the Indians or the Diamondbacks, there's going to be the market is going to be flooded with you know upgrades for the Mets. You know, obviously Paul Goldschmidt would fit in well at first. Zach Greinke or Corey Kluber in the rotation. Everyone seems to love Jan Gomes more than I do. Uh, yeah, James Paxton is out there as well. Um, I think certainly the last few years, they haven't really had that top-tier prospect package to put together. But I think while the system's still really shallow because I got down to like 14, I'm like, I'm really putting a day three outfield draft pick here still somehow because I can't, like, pump a 16-year-old. Like I, like, I wanted to put Junior Santos there, but I'm like, I can't put Junior Santos there. I just can't. You know, he's a six foot six, 16-year-old from the Dominican, who has finally come stateside. But 
I think if they wanted to, they could. They have like the package down to go and get Corey Kluber. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, it's definitely a lot more. The system is a lot more front front loaded than it has been in years past, and there's still guys that are low in the system that are going to be lottery tickets that in the next you know couple of months you know next season are going to be possibly high helium risers yeah and a, a lot of these guys too it depends on it's going to be very individualistic from team to team and this is this is true of everybody like sort of like if you're not like Vlad Guerrero Jr. teams are going to have like wildly varying opinions on your you know relative prospect status like there's probably teams that like Kalanick Alonso and Jimenez in a completely different order than I do. There's probably teams that would prefer Justin Dunn to one or more of them. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying they're out there, Steve. It's not my not my take, but I'm just saying they're out there. So that's always going to be the case. So I think I always get asked on Twitter when some other team trades for some other interesting player that might have fit on the Mets. Like, oh, what's like the Mets equivalent prospect pack? And it's like, well, I can sort of give it to you in my opinion. Um a lot of times those comps are difficult, but it's like also going to be for the individual team might really like, I don't know, like maybe somebody really likes Andres Jimenez and not more than we do, but um, maybe somebody really doesn't like Andres Jimenez. Like we might think that an Andres Jimenez led package can bring back Corey Kluber. Right? He's got what three and 50 left on that deal or something like that. What is he, he had all those really expensive Cy Young escalators. So the Indians can't afford him anymore, but you know, another team might, value a different might value jazz chisholm more as a sort of that a shortstop at a at a similar level of his pro career right now or might really value this is a good shortstop prospect they're all just a blur right now they might actually trade for maybe they really like oh who's the annoying guy in the yankee system whose name alberto Cayaspo. Oh, that was a kansas city royals dude wasn't it there's some dude in the gcl that Everyone loves for the Yankees. I'm trying to think of teams that would actually te trade for Kluber. But that was sort of my overarching point is like, everyone's like, oh, the Yankees are going to trade for all these guys. At the top of the system, the Mets can, like, if the Yankees aren't trading Andujar and, and Glaber, which I don't think they are, the top of the Mets system right now is actually better for making this kind of a trade than the Yankees system is. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the Yankees, they graduated, you know, with Torres and Andujar and everybody else. They've graduated a lot of those top-tier guys into their team, and they're kind of integral in their team now, and I don't think that they're going to be getting rid of them. And whereas the Mets, you know, really Rosario is the only guy that's come up in the last year and has kind of, you know, been an integral part of the team. Um, so they still have those pieces down in the minor leagues. Yeah, and I think you look at sort of, there's different ways to look at the health of an organization and like strictly speaking prospect lists aren't necessarily the the best overall picture because you could argue again the Mets have more top tier prospect talent than the Yankees right now but they also don't have Glaber Torres and and Miguel Andahar and even guys like you know uh you know Luis Severino's only been up for functionally 2 years um you know Clint Frazier is not prospect eligible but still might be a more uh, valuable piece to other teams than some of these guys um but it just seems to me the Mets are underestimating. And again, I don't think it's a great system. It's like an average-ish system now because, like, the depth just isn't there. It's like there's like multiple people that are currently, recently, or in the process of having Tommy John or still in the top ten. So <laughs> it's not ideal. 
But I do think that they can, if they wanted to make a trade move, they're not going to spend $330 million for Machado, which like I would write that check tomorrow even though it's not my money. I'll forge his signature. I can probably figure out how to do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. That's basically mine except with the J and a P. But like they can, if they want to get creative, they can get creative. And the other thing that I think gets talked about less than it should when you do bring in a new GM, and I know they've saddled him with like 16 other hanger-ons that have been here for a decade, but he doesn't have anything in to Justin Don or David Peterson or even Kalang. They weren't his picks. You know, they, you get like that new, like I don't know how much free reign he's going to have to actually deal those guys, but he has nothing into them. They're not his guys. If he thinks there's there's a deal out there to improve the team, he could look to, I don't think he's going to go Jerry DePoto because no, you should never go full DePoto for starters, but <laughs> always a bad idea. But you know, if they do want to get creative, like the one thing I think we both criticized uh, Alderson with specifically uh, in this kind of stuff is he was not particularly creative with the way he used the system. Right. Um, I mean, you have the big splash with Cespedes, and then really the trade front over the last couple of years really has been very silent. Yeah, they were never really buyers, but specifically they were never really off-season buyers. You know, like the former for Cespedes trade was a deadline deal. You know, all the, reliever, all the relievers they brought in, Bruce, were all deadline deals. There's like different pressures and different uh, – you're looking at it from a different point of view at that point because you, you basically have more information about your team in July than you have in December. Um, so you can look at it now and be like, how can we remake the team between – now and opening day, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, you can obviously sign Manny Machado. They should sign Manny Machado. To be clear, one more time, I will just reiterate: they should sign <laughs> Manny Machado. But if if money is an object, which God knows, I spent too many years of my life trying to divine what the actual budget is for various Mets off seasons, you know, they have the pieces now. I think to make a marquee trade in a way they haven't really in the past. I mean, they could have dealt Rosario specifically, but that was never really an option. I guess Rosario is probably the best single prospect they've had. In the hey, I, I'm butting in here for yeah. a second. Uh, in your estimation, yeah. is there a marquee player that the Mets could use that the Mets don't have the pieces to trade for right now? Or do you think that almost anybody out there can be had at a reasonable you know, rate here with Mets prospects. I mean, you're not getting, like, so the guys that you can't get, you're not getting. Like, nobody's getting. Like, you know, like the pre-arb dudes. Like, you, they don't have a trade package they can put together for, like, Ronald Acuna. Not that the Braves would make that deal. But of the teams that have announced that they're functionally selling, um, whether they should be or not, and that's a whole different discussion, um, there's a couple things going on here uh, that I think influences this in the Mets' favor. Right now, there's more teams selling, then there are going to be teams interested in buying that have the farm system to do it. If Dave Dombrowski had anything left in that farm system he could trade, he absolutely <laughs> would. He does not. They're our last list because they have the best record in baseball, let me tell you. It might be the worst system in baseball. Um, and if he can find somebody to take Bobby Dalback or Michael Chavis or Brian Mata in one of these deals for even not maybe like a quiver level player, he'll do it because that's what if Dombrowski does, flags fly forever. Uh, actually, a funny side note to that, uh, Jarrett Seidler did the Game 5 recap for BP, and he did something. He also had the one the Cubs won two years ago. He did a similar sort of frame story for it. We basically looked how the team got, how they acquired the players they got. Um, 
And because last time the Red Sox won the World Series, the only player that was on that roster and this roster was Andrew Bogarts. They basically turned over their entire 25-man roster otherwise. Pedroia wasn't on the playoff roster. It was just a playoff roster. Oh, okay. Pedroia was on the playoff roster this year. Um, and he found – so he went through it. And it wasn't like – you basically said, like, this is what Dave Dombrowski does. And, like, the response to it from our readership was actually incredibly negative because they thought Jared did not uh, criticize Dombrowski enough for not being efficient. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And – you know, obviously, God knows this comes up about once every six weeks in the Pizza Channel. But the Cespedes for Fulmer trade, sorry, Mookie, was not particularly efficient, but it was incredibly effective accomplishing what needed to be effective. The goal is to win the World Series. Like, however you get there, it doesn't matter. If you're the Astros and you tank for three years, and we can actually argue a long conversation about how much the tanking actually added to the roster that won that World Series, that's fine. But if you spend $250 million, there's not an asterisk on the pennant that you fly over the stadium. There just isn't. And all these teams can do it. The Mets can do it. Again, to reiterate, the Mets should absolutely sign Manny Machado <laughs> for a market rate contract because that's the easiest way to fix this. I know you were talking about Todd Frazier earlier. Like, they're still going to have to replace Todd Frazier in 2019, uh, 2020. They're not going to sign Nolan Arenado. Like, there's a third base. This is your chance to go top-tier third baseman. Um, but just to uh, bring it back around, I don't think there's a player they can't get because ultimately you're looking for – if you're trading these guys, the, guy, the, teams, the guys these teams are willing to trade. Like the Mariners aren't trading Mitch Haniger, and that might get tricky because Mitch Haniger is like a cost-controlled Rule 6, borderline Rule 7 player. Like there's no, there's no deal you can really put together for that. You know, Marco Gonzalez – I don't really want to sign Marco Gonzalez. Sorry, Meg. But that's a separate problem uh, entirely as well. Like, those guys aren't in the market. The guys aren't in the market. Like, Paxton's probably going to get 2-25 and 25 in arbitration in the next two years. He's 30. I don't think he's ever actually qualified for the ERA title. Like, there are some, some weakness. There are some holes you can poke in that profile. Like, I'll fucking take James Paxton every fucking day of the week because he's a lefty that throws 100 miles an hour with a double-plus slider. You can tell I've been drinking because I said double-plus instead of plus-plus. I don't like to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but they can not, go – no, not the fire. <laughs> they can they can go and get James Paxton. You know they can get you know Zach Greinke. You're going to hear a lot about how Zach Greinke is a negative value contract, like we heard with Cole Hamels three years ago or whatever. But they can go out and get Zach Greinke. Zach Greinke is probably not going to cost Andres Jimenez, and Arizona is not looking to get Andres Jimenez. They're looking to unload Zach Greinke's contract. That's two different things. I'm Kate. Um, I used to write here. I'm going to knock over all of these. Is this a question about a raised shortstop? No. <laughs> no. No. My question is, are you assuming these trades are with the Mets taking on all of the salary? So, I mean, with Paxton, like, all these guys, Paxton, Kluber, um, I think who else the Indians have actually said they're probably – I mean, so Granke is the tricky one. So Paxton, Kluber, Goldschmidt are obviously – you take on all that salary because it's incredibly below market value. Zach Greinke is not significantly beating what is left on Zach Greinke's deal if he was a free agent right now. It's tough to say exactly how that would play out. That said, Zach Greinke is still an excellent pitcher. He's very good at throwing baseballs. Um, I would expect wherever he gets traded, there's going to be some salary deferment like there was with Stanton. Maybe not to that extent. And again, it depends on the deal. But if you offered them like 
Jared Kalenic-led package for Zach Granke. I don't know how many teams are actually going out there and beating it. And again, Kalenic is a guy I think, and I'm sure Steve will agree on this, is going to elicit a wide variety of opinions. I think everybody has him as like a top 100 guy, but where exactly he falls in that in that top 100 range is uh, going to vary from the various national ranking sources. But I don't see a guy that's like realistically going to be on the market that they can't put the packages together now because they have three top 100 guys in Jimenez, Alonzo, and Kalanick. And they're three very different skill sets. So maybe you want the guy that wants the up-the-middle infielder. you got the up-the-middle outfielder with some power projection. You've got, you know, Peter Alonzo, masher of baseballs, dresser of Led Zeppelin uh, costumes. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, if you want an arm, they have second-tier arms. Like, is Justin Dunn, David Peterson, Anthony Kay, Kalome and Zapaki, or uh, trickier who the TJ rehabs, going to lead up these deals? Probably not. But as like a second tier piece, like the second guy in a deal, I think they could absolutely be that if you want to mix you know, a team specifically that wants to bring in a pitcher. And like Dunn and Peterson, it's the Mets, so they manage their pitching prospects how they manage them. But Dunn and Peterson are not that far from being majorly ready, although Peterson didn't even pitch in double A this year because it's the Mets. Um, but the, the problem's going to be past that. Like if they go and make a top, let's say they go, let's say they go and trade for Corey Kluber which is something I've advocated, because then you have a rotation that uh, Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Zach Wheeler, Steven Matz, Corey Kluber. This is a theoretical fantasy, Kate. <laughs> and they trade, let's say they have to trade, let's say they have to go whole hog. Let's say they have to trade... Jimenez, Alonzo, and Shervin Newton to pull a name. Ronnie Mauricio, some far away that's not really a lottery ticket, but kind of a lottery ticket. That makes them the 28th best system in baseball, 27th around there. Probably still better than the Mariners and the Red Sox. Anyone else, I'd have to actually go and do the math. They would have a rotation of... Jacob DeGrom, <laughs> Noah Syndergaard, Zach Wheeler, Stephen Matz, Corey Kluber. That's a, that's a pennant-winning rotation. And if they get to the playoffs, they get to the wild card game. They sneak in. They win 87 games because their bullpen is still like Jacob Rame and the Jacob Rame All-Stars. <laughs> you get into a short series and you're pitching Jacob DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Corey Kluber. You got Zach Wheeler coming out of the fucking bullpen doing the Nathan A. Avaldi impression or whatever. You got Matz as your lefty multi-inning guy and the fake Andrew Miller. They'll probably still sign Andrew Miller, too. But you got, you got Zach, you got Steven Matz and Andrew Miller as like your lefty multi-inning guys. Like, there are a lot of different ways to build a playoff contending team. And here's the other thing. The Braves and Phillies don't seem particularly interested in being really good next year. They seem interested in being good. They don't seem being interested in Really good. If the Phillies can go out and sign Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, (laughs) and we'll be having this conversation for the 400th edition, we'll all be a lot drunker, and we'll have (laughs) not some playoffs with them. That could be a thing that happens. But uh, I guess I'll steer this back to the actual system. Who's your dude? Who's your dude? Good dude, or like. Oh, we'll do do good dude, and then we'll do your guy. 
But there's the dude. <laughs> who's your? Because I know you're already ruminating about less stuff. Who, who's your? Who's your good dude? Um, who's the? Who's the notable prospect you like more than everyone else? I'm gonna say Vientos. I'm a little higher oh, on him. Like All right. <laughs> how about? How about? Uh, He's another guy that's gonna be wildly. Like I get it. I get it. But it's just. I think my like. I thought I talked myself into Shervian Newton more than I did. Because I like had a dude that does not generally blow up guys to me. Basically, say stop him. He's an average regular. Like first week in in the Abbey. Because I asked about him. He didn't have Kingsport coverage, but he was down there you know, covering who they were playing. I think. And I went and saw it. And it's like, you know, it's like this is one of those things that always gets awkward. We talk like it's like prospect guys because um, there's a tendency to a one that I fight against <laughs> constantly. But there's a thanks, Allison. There's a <laughs> there's a tendency to like weirdly hypersexualize these dudes. It, it, it makes me uncomfortable personally. But like, there's also like there's also like a shorthand you have to use. Um, and so the shorthand for Shervian Newton, and this applies to dudes like Joe Adele, uh, Leody Tavares, like really good. These are the outfielders, not infielders, but they're like fast twitch guys. It's the high ass. That's the technical term. It's the high. They have a very high ass. Uh, and he just has that like body type. He is he is tall. He's very lean. He's very, very lean, lean, tall. You know, he runs well. Like I figured I was gonna see him be like an O'Neill Cruz Cruz thing where it's like there's no way this dude can play shortstop. It's just like a fun thing we're doing for this like, you know, raw 19 year old Dutch kid in the and the Abbey League because you see all kinds of shortstops down there. And then I watched him play for a little bit. I'm like, he's a pretty good shortstop. <laughs> like he can, like do all like he can make all the plays. He had a couple like weird instincts. He had like a what I would would term like a plus shortstop play, which I did not expect to see. Um, he's a switch hitter. He's got a ton of raw power. And like with all these dudes, I have no fucking clue if he can actually hit. <laughs> right, <laughs> he's going right. to get into full season ball in Columbia next year. I said Columbia, not Savannah. And he is, and like, I have no idea what he's going to do. He's like college dudes with breaking balls. Like, I don't know what that's going to look like. Right, that's the thing. His strikeout rate was like 30% or whatever yeah, like it was. A little bit of Ivan Wilson in him. It's not, you don't want... He you didn't go full Ivan Wilson, but he's a little, a little Ivan Wilson. But I don't think it's a pitch recognition thing. I think he's very comfortable just, like, working deep counts, and then he just, you know, he gets beat by stuff he probably shouldn't. And it, the swing can get long because he's a large human being. But the pad, that swing has so much power, though. Like, oh, I, I was so very surprised when yeah, I saw no, him. He's he doesn't look like a guy. I mean, he's he looks like a guy, but not such a guy. Like, just the yeah. swing, like, you could hear it. Yeah, and it's, like, one of those two where, like, that's not only the Mets have been blowing him up for like a full year now, and it's just like I hear that I'm just like, okay, guys, I know how this story goes. I'm gonna go there, and it's gonna be like whatever. And you're gonna have like really oversold. They didn't really oversell any of the tools on him. Is the thing. It might not work out because that's just he's an incredibly raw six foot four Dutch kid. Not exactly. There's like not a huge track record for this profile, uh, but he's like. I guess it's, I've sort of talked him into being my dude. But my actual dude, I think, is just Andres Jimenez because we're just going to rank him incredibly high. He's a fun player. Like, he just everything, every tool he does, like, maybe it's not going to blow you away, but he does everything just, just right, just enough. Yeah, and it's like I was impressed, like, how – like he sh like, I noticed in spring training he'd shed a lot of the baby fat from last year. He kind of had, like, the little – he had the Phil Evans trainer body in uh, Columbia – but he's much leaner now, more muscular. He's a barbless guy. So, you know, he jumped a grade in speed, which is the thing that the one thing that they actually do. And he's just like 
and I want to be like, like he's a good, like he's a solid shortstop at 18. Like his instincts are good, but the game speed is a little too fast for him, and I don't know if he's just going to look like Phil Evans in five years. Uh, and he came back this year and just like, it's a plus shortstop. And it's a plus shortstop in a way that Rosario wasn't. Well, that, that was my question. I, yeah. I'm sorry to butt in here again, but do you guys feel, both of you, I want to hear both of your opinions on this, that the long-term projection for Jimenez is higher than the long-term projection for Rosario? And if so, which of them, if you had to only keep one of them, would you guys want to keep? So there's, there's two separate questions here. Um, the projection for Rosario is not incumbent on where you're actually playing him in the field. So you could move Rosario to center field. I think in a way you couldn't move Jimenez. Um, well, it's like this happens all the time. It just doesn't – the guys that get moved to center is short. It's not Juan Lagares is an example of this. The guys that actually move, center, move to center field. Right, it happens to my – it does not – I mean, Billy Hamilton, Roman Quinn were like the borderline guys. Were they uh, – Trey Turner has gone back and forth and very effective. Uh, D. Gordon, uh, one I'm thinking of. Uh, Tim Anderson for the White Sox has always been a candidate for this as well but hasn't actually done it yet. Uh, you know, if, they, they, if they're actually serious about playing Nick Madrigal at shortstop, that might be where he gets moved to. But the track – like basically every eight runner that's been moved from shortstop to center field has been an excellent center fielder uh, within – and like Lagares doesn't have that speed, but he always had better, had better instincts. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying hypothetically if they were – hypothetically. It would be Rosario. Like, like the comp here is like Billy Hamilton or like D. Gordon where even if your roots aren't that good – like because Lagares is like a plus runner, but his roots and instincts are so good that – Rosario's so fast, it might not matter. Um, there's a guy I was looking at, I think it was like Daz Cameron for the Tigers. I think that's right. Where he's a plus runner, but his roots aren't quite there yet. So you're still like projecting it. And like some guys just can't do it. They may, you might put an outfield glove on him, and it's a complete and utter disaster. But it's not contingent on that. Jimenez's projection is contingent on him being a plus shortstop because he doesn't have the same upside with the bat. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of – I saw, like, three or four BP sessions from Jimenez this year. He takes a nice BP. Like, it's nice. And, like, I'm not even taking a point when we took at the Futures game. If you take BP at the Futures game, it's very hard to stand out. Uh, and he, I don't think he hit a ball out of the park. But, um, you know, even taking him – I saw him hit it in the fucking band box at Hartford. Uh, you know, next to, like, the best BP I saw outside of him was Will Toffee, I think. It was not that impressive a <laughs> BP. Um, but he like hit like three balls out over like four days. And he's just not gonna have a lot of power. I like the swing. He's a good runner. He's a good shortstop. You know the comp I've been using on him lately, and it's not a precise comp um, because this guy does have more power, but more swing and miss is Willie Adams. In so much as Willie Adams is just boring and safe, and you know like your roll fifty five shortstop, and he's gonna be fine, but. It's not exciting. Like, Jimenez, weirdly enough to say this, this is a guy that's hit, like, like a 700 OPS in AA this year compared to a guy that has flashed some things in the majors. You could argue Jimenez is a safer major league asset than Rosario is at this point. Uh, I agree. Uh, Jimenez has, you know, he has the higher floor but the lower ceiling, and then Rosario has the lower floor but the higher ceiling. And Rosario is a much more exciting player. 
and Jimenez is the much safer player. Um, yeah, I mean, Rosario, I've made this comp before. Like, he might just be LCD's Escobar for a couple of years. He also might just be LCD's Escobar. <laughs> like, that, that, I think he has a little bit more power. Right. Yeah, sure. But I'm saying, like, that could how it, how it, how it comes out in the wash over the next couple of years. So who's we'll, we'll wrap this up since we've completely hijacked the show. Um, who's your guy that's not a dude? Huh. Well... I'll go with just one, uh, one Oriarte since I had Did him. Did he play this year? He <laughs> had he had one at bat that he didn't complete. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's Extremely mad. There's a there's a very rare few that were there that day, <laughs> and I saw it. But he's you know he's gotten good reviews for his catcher defense. Mm-hmm. Um, his bat you know is kind of more hit profile than. Uh, <laughs> It's more hit than power right now, but you know he he can he's a little chunky. If he chunks up a little more, you know he could add some power uh, mess to his frame. And catchers are always a kind of question mark. So hopefully he develops. But catchers are weird, is what I usually say. Uh, mine is to the surprise of no one, trawling through the minor slack at AA. Uh, Steve Alines. The submarining ice sidearm reliever from Don't University let Lucas of Kansas. Hear you. I was there first, Lucas. Um, their senior sign sidearm reliever from Kansas last year, who inexplicably started an A ball this year because again it's the Mets, um, and made it all the way to Double A. And I've always kind of liked him, and it's just like eighty-five to eighty-seven, and no secondaries, and he just shoves it right in your fucking face and dares you to hit it. And nobody has so far. Yeah, it works. It works. I mean, it may at some point stop working in spectacular fashion. He's like one of the biggest. I had a conversation with a scout this year about who the biggest benefactors are of the team's AAA affiliate moving from Vegas to uh, Syracuse. Oh, yeah. And, th- and the name that came up primarily was Nabil Krizmat, but I feel like Steve Lines will also be have a large. Uh, Krizmat, who's a free agent now. And he is a minor should, free agent. The Mets too. should sign him. Oh, poor Nabil Krizmat. All right, now that we're talking about Nabil Krismat, I feel like we can turn it back over to Brian and Chris. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen Jeffrey. So uh, we're going to, yes. So we're going to take five, uh, and we'll, we'll be back. With more? Right. As you're listening, we'll be back in like three seconds. But yeah, exactly. We'll be back <laughs> in a, 15 seconds. We'll be back in a few play. minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, we're back. So we we've gotten uh, we've we've taken a little break. We've got another round of beers. Um, yeah. Keep buying the t-shirts, everybody, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, no. So we're we're gonna just get into a little bit more of um, you know what the Mets have coming up this off season. Mm-hmm. And I guess to start us off, Brian, Brian and Maggie are gonna talk about the catching situation and uh, all the rumors associated with it. So yes. Brian, so we have our newest contributor here, I guess officially, uh, Maggie Wigan, of formerly of uh, currently a Mets blog, currently a yeah, BP. Kind of, okay, and uh, we're gonna talk catching. So you know, Brody and others have talked about the Mets catching situation and. Yeah, there's a little bit of optimism still there with Darno for for Brody at least, um, but you know who do you feel is the Mets' primary catching target? Who should be the Mets' primary catching target for this offseason? Well, I was I I was a 
Darno supporter for a long time, and I still think like he was a potentially extremely good player. Um, just, I mean, that kind of that kind of series of injury derailments, you just never get into a rhythm for your career. And like, I mean, I I don't have any optimism for Darno after being like the person saying he's got a chance for a really long time. Like he is now, he he's. He's maybe like a little bit of sprinkles that could show up later. Like he's, he should factor into nobody's decisions. I actually, I think Pulecki is, is, a, is an average major league catcher. There's something to be said for like, and he has a really bad rep among people who um, don't know what a major league catcher looks like. Like the average major league catcher is really bad. Um, and he's like <laughs> moderately not quite so bad. Um, but I do think like there's some interesting targets out there. And I think like, you know, I, I saw I saw some some predictions that uh, Ramos would get one year and like if the if, which seems like insane to me. Um, so I, I'm gonna go ahead and assume that that's not the case, but like if Ramos is getting a two-year contract, the Mets should probably be on that. Like I'm not huge on 31-year-old anything,s especially catchers, but like a major league team should also be able to take a hit on a second year of a two-year contract, you know, in exchange for potentially an above-average bat in that position. So like Ramos, if he's not getting, definitely if he's not getting four years, because that's going to be a brutal back half. But, like, even if he's getting a light three years, that, that's that's fine to be in on, especially when you do have someone like Pulecki because catchers break, Ramos breaks. Um, Maldonado is trash. And <laughs> if, if Maldonado is the guy... Don't mince words, Maggie. Like, yeah, like, no, ser- but, like, seriously, if, if Maldonado's the guy, then forget it. Like, stick with Pulecki. Pulecki is at least as good as Maldonado... Which is say not great, but but catching is terrible right now. Like there's no there's no getting around that. Um, so yeah, I mean, well that's why you know that's why you can make a good argument for going big on Real Muto because he's 27 and he is a legitimately strong bat and he's not a bad defender, um, and that's that's really really hard to find. So I mean in a in a world where they're probably not going to trade for Real Muto, I say go ahead and, and go for Ramos if he's not getting getting crazy money. But you know, it's it, you, everyone needs to adjust their expectations going into the catching market. Um, well, the catching market is not really a thing, yeah. <laughs> you know. <it's, laughs> I think everybody expects there to be Johnny Bench out there, and that just doesn't exist the catching, anymore. Right, exactly. The catching um, pop up holiday shop. <laughs> Well played. Yeah. <laughs> is, is there any sort of dark horse catching candidate you'd uh, you'd put a? Uh, I mean, like Brandall is the other guy who's out there, and but he's also again probably gonna get hurt. He can't catch. He can't actually catch, but he can at least stand behind where the batter is and sort of throw himself at the ball. It's, he's not a qualifying option. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird situation to be in, but I, I'm still gonna say like you can do a whole lot worse than Kevin Pulecki, a catcher, and one of those things that you could do that's worse is Maldonado, and another thing you could do that is worse is um, Devin Mesoraco. So please, dear God, do not resign Mesoraco. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. 
All right. Well, yeah, that's. Uh, I think that that that's a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good note to end the uh, catching segment on. Sorry. Don't sign Mezzarocco. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Want any so, other good news? Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, I was curious to hear Rich. We're gonna put him on the spot. He he's. <laughs> There was a reference earlier in this episode to the Pizza Channel. If you don't know, oh God. the Pizza Channel is sort of the free for all that we have on our on our internal. You don't. <laughs> it's a mess. Yes, Please it's, don't ask. it's something that we do uh, to to sort of get everything out of our systems. On Slack. Uh, yes, on Slack. So Rich is sort of the superstar of pizza. <laughs> Um, if there's a bad pun to be made or a good pun to be made, they're all bad. Nice. Yes. Jeff, Jeff said he's, he's he, not, not a superstar. Um, hashtag shellfish. But yeah, no, Rich, uh, do, what do you want to talk about? What, what's, what we, we've covered the minor leagues, the catching situation, Manny Machado. What's your thing going into this oh, offseason? Everyone's favorite player, Jose Reyes. <laughs> uh, boo, boo. Once again, I'm being attacked for presenting new ideas. <laughs> Thank you. I've said my piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? That's it. I yeah? Bring him back as a pitcher. That's old. He pitched last year. He's probably better than Maldonado. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. He's healthier than Maldonado. Now he is. Yeah. Now that he sucks, he's really healthy. <laughs> His legs are in tip-top shape. Now that he isn't fast or isn't good at hitting, <laughs> isn't good at fielding, not really a great person. <laughs> yeah. He's a good mentor. I heard that somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. Outstanding guy. Yeah. Man of the Yeah. Better than Nimmo. Better than Matt's. He's great. Who doesn't love him? Why don't you, uh, why don't you pass that microphone across yeah. to Jack? <laughs> <laughs> Really quickly moving I'm away trying, from Rich. I'm trying. This feels a lot like being on Pete's. We're like, please, Rich, stop. Please, stop. Please, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, no, stop. Please, Rich. So, Jack, you have uh, – give us give us a, a Mets offseason target strategy, something you want to see this offseason. I was saying it before. I don't want Andrew Miller, mainly because while, like, the common thought is that he's going to get a year deal, I'm so afraid of the Mets giving him, like, three because it'd be so Mets. But, like, yes, Andrew Miller, he was really good three years ago. Let's give him three years to be our guy out of the pen to eat up a lot of innings when he can't really do it anymore. Yeah, shoulder explodes, exactly. Would you do two? Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> and Brody would too, I think. I think, I think, I think there are better I, I think guys it's funny we already think what Brody would do. Yeah. We, oh, have, yes. we have no evidence of this. We're like, oh, Brody would do that, of course. Yeah, sure, yeah. I, I say it all he's the done, time. He's done... He's done yeah. literally nothing, and I think, yes, I know yes, exactly what Brody's going to do. Of course Brody would do that, Brody's yeah. Brody's a Mets GM. He will do this exactly. There's no way he'll be any different than the rest of them. This is true. <laughs> he went to one group meeting. <laughs> Hashtag Brody's mess. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I'd rather have to go down the same Swarzak path and go with another Rockies reliever and get Alavino. Like, 
it's scary, but I think that'd be a better move than getting Miller. I think Robertson, we talked about before, I don't think Robertson they'll get because he's going to want too many years, and the Mets are not getting any reliever for multiple years anymore outside you of someone. You say that. Again, we have literally no evidence of Brody. Oh, yeah. This is a good point. But I think if we're going with the mindset that the Wilpons are still in charge and they're not going to give any extended years to relievers, which is concerning but also sometimes good. Like, that'll work out most of the time. But then every once in a while there's a good reliever who deserves the years and they won't give it to him. And then they'll give them to the bad guy. They'll give them to Zach Britton. Zach Britton will get three years for no reason. See Carrasco, comma, DJ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it, they're, it's, it's the worst Mets thing that you're just assuming that they're going to make the worst possible reliever decision. <laughs> Any other position they could do very well, but they will screw up the relievers every single time. Uh, I'm a podcast professional. I should know I should be talking into a mic when I do this. Uh, DJ Carrasco is responsible for what I consider to be the worst meme in Amazing Avenue history in the comment session, which is another Ike Davis hit spun by DJ Carrasco. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, I've, it's like this terribly photoshopped like dude dancing in the front with Ike Davis's head on it, and then like a DJ with DJ Carrasco's head on it. And like every time Ike Davis got a hit in the game thread, I would see it, and it was just the worst thing ever. I just want to make Much. a wild. As long as we're talking about Rockies relievers. Could we do a bad contract for bad contract swap for Brian Shaw? I mean, like, what what would what would do that? What 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 that? We'll take that. Jay Bruce. Yeah, I'd like that. Any excuse to get Jay Bruce off this team would be my favorite thing to ever happen. No. How dare they? They would never. I think Jay. (laughs) Jay Bruce is. Oh. Ooh, and Desmond at first base. I think one of my favorite things in sports recently was that uh, I, I forget who made the point, but when Odell Beckham signed his extension in, in the NFL with the Giants, uh, somebody pointed out that he's making almost as much as Ian Desmond is on an <laughs> annual basis. <laughs> and I love Odell, but it just sort of speaks to the... Uh, yes, yeah. yes. I think maybe Jay Bruce might be my least favorite player on the Mets, and he has been for a long time. I hated the trade from in general. Yeah. He's your least favorite player on the Mets. Jay Bruce has been for a long time. I yeah, compared no, no. him to the trash that was blowing around in right field once because he was also standing there. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, no, that, that's uh, – Jeff makes a good point. That, that can kind of – They're not here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, uh, let, let's go around. The, um, your, your least favorite player of the tens, the team what, – what, what's this decade called? The we teens? Do Jose Reyes division because I feel like that's Sure, bad. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah, no. I, I'd feel bad not picking Jose Reyes if I picked Jay Bruce. Right, so your least favorite player since 2010, yeah. who is not Jose Reyes. I, I'm, I'm sticking with Jay Bruce. I'm sticking with Jay Bruce. It is a lot. I'm not, I'm not going to answer team first. tanked like three separate seasons. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sticking with Jay Bruce. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking there. I'm sitting there. Does, uh, d- does Rich have a least favorite player of this era? I do not like John Neese. He, ah. The only thing worse than him pitching is after he got traded to the Pirates, his wife was on Instagram, finally away from the angry media and the disrespectful teammates. It's like, he was bad. <laughs> <laughs> he was not good. And then he blamed the fielders. Right. And then he stopped playing professionally. Yeah. And then he came back and everyone booed him. He sucked. We got rid of Bestardo, which was good. But... He went into the Springfield mystery spot, and no one's seen him since. <laughs> uh, Allison? Oh, God. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, there are. My there least are. favorite player of the 2010s. There are so many. I'm just going to go with K-Rod because he pisses me the hell off hmm. in like right. every way possible. Yeah, he punched he punched an old man yeah, in the face. I think he, he wasn't extended good. into it, yeah. He's just an, he, yeah, I'm going to go with K-Rod. I don't like him at all. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mag- yeah, Maggie. I will say one thing I've heard about Johnnie's is someone described him as stupid even for a baseball player and <laughs> and I don't think that is the that is the harshest burn I have heard in my life, in my life. Um, oh, there are so many bad. I would say, okay, I would say probably John Buck, because he oh. he punched a bunch. He of hugged Harvey. In the face he hugged Harvey. Come on. And then he was terrible. I don't know. <laughs> well, for his baby, yeah. Look, his wife was two weeks overdue. Okay, I I can I can empathize with that. Like, but no, no, there's something about his face that pissed me off. Face that pisses me off. <laughs> yes, Kate. Hi, it's Kate. John Roush, I still have nightmares about. Oh. <laughs> Is it a face or a neck tattoo? It's just the whole oh. thing. All right, all right. I saw him in person once, and he was between like me and Chris. Like, this is how close we were. And I just like got up and walked away. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just couldn't look at him. It terrified me. Fair enough. Yeah, that's good. This should be good. So I feel like there has to be – I have podcasts about all these people, which is – there has to be, like, a, I think, like, a, a volume factor here because, like, on a per-appearance basis, it's probably, like, Aaron Laffey. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there needs to be, like, consideration of, like, how, like, how much I had to actually think about them over the course of whatever, writing, podcasting, et cetera. And I guess the name, like – that keeps coming up to me. This is, like, I think the most endemic name for, like, a very terrible era in Mets baseball. I'm going to go with Jason Pridey. Mostly because, like, the awful beard. It was just the awful beard <laughs> and this, like, like, you couldn't find any. He was playing center field. He wasn't really a center fielder. But what did he really do wrong? I mean, he was a below average. It's like, it's like a personal visceral reaction. <laughs> And like, I feel like, like, because like relievers, too, like you expect a certain amount of like shittiness in your relievers, especially with like the ones the Mets were bringing in. Like, I'm not gonna. I mean, like Frank Frank's a good one, but Frank Frank also brought us a uh, little Jerry Seinfeld, the chicken. So I got material out of yes. that. I got a lot of material out of Frank Frank telling Henry Mejia <laughs> he shouldn't work hard on rehab. That's like stuff. Jason Jason <laughs> Jason Pride never gave me shit. He just like played center field twice a week, and it was like a thing that happened. A proven closer. So it's going to be interesting because they have to like, they have to technically add him back to the roster before spring training, I guess. Uh, the 40 man, he's still on the, that's when he gets like officially reinstated. And you have to make like a 40 man decision. <laughs> like, are you going to get rid of Drew Gagno? I don't know. I have no idea what Henry Mejia is doing in the Dominican Winter League, but maybe he's good, maybe he's not. Like Henry Mejia, of all, like I feel like Henry Mejia, like on a, if I'm using like a like a sliding scale here, the player that was the least good, but also and Henry Mejia wasn't bad, but the, but the person that personally gave me the most material for the podcast while not being like a regular on the Mets was Henry Mejia was second, and the obvious first answer because 
he has been a boon to everyone talking about the Mets in the 2010s. I want to give a special shout out to Jordani Valdespin. <laughs> I, I was there for that walk-off granny that Valdespin hit, so that's a special moment in my life. We all did miss Eric Campbell. You didn't get to me yet. That was my answer. Oh, Thanks, I'm so Kate. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Soup. His exit velocities were so good. We didn't have launch angle, though. We didn't know he was hitting 110 <laughs> miles an hour directly into the ground. <laughs> directly into the ground. That was great. That was my favorite moment ever. And Tom's afraid to the Mets analytics department at the time. Say hi, Ken. Hi, I'm Kenny. Um, yeah, I have two. One is just because of what he represents, like something that probably the most annoying thing about the Mets is Austin Jackson because like there's literally nothing he does good on a baseball field anymore. But for some <laughs> reason, the Mets decided he was their center fielder when they've like, yeah, no, th- th- they might still bring him back because somebody else is paying him. Um, <laughs> The real answer is probably Alex Torres because Ooh. there's just there's something so frustrating about watching a guy throw like eleven pitches and have none of them anywhere near the <laughs> something super frustrating. So yeah, Tom, do you have an answer here? He had the hat though. He did have the hat. I always respect Tom's alternative. I mean, it was already said with John Neese, but I guess my biggest thing with him is that. Anytime I was originally scheduled to go watch up Matt Harvey start back here, you know, when he was good, <laughs> who did I get stuck with? Accurate. John Neese. Yep. I mean, Neese and, and Dylan G alternated starts yeah. for like six years straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm convinced someone else picked. They're almost yeah. the same person, right? Yeah. <laughs> Into the microphone, it, like in 2006, like I got went to back. I think it was like back-to-back starts started by uh, Jose Lima and Jeremy Gonzalez. Ooh. I have no idea how that team made the playoffs. Like, how did that team? I know it's the 2000s, not the 2010s, but just like actually, they're both dead. <laughs> I think about that. That's why it's an RIP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was just shit. like. But yeah, I went to like I got I won one of those dumb Mets social media giveaway competitions. Like you, mm-hmm. the thirty first person to retweet this for like whatever. I got like free tickets to a Sunday night game, and I brought like my buddy. I brought my wife who I was dating at the time, my buddy and his girlfriend who it turned out was already married and he didn't know it at the time. <laughs> That's a, it's an entirely different story. It's a great story. Are you uh, blowing up somebody's spot right now? No, no, it's like ten. It's like okay. ten years ago. Just making but, sure. Uh, it was a uh, John Neese starting Sunday Night Baseball, and it was like I went to. Oh, it was. Oh, it had to have been the uh, R.A. Dickey Cy Young season. It was 2012. Yep, 2012. And I went to nine games that year. Six of them were started by R.A. Dickey that I specifically picked out to go see starts by R.A. Dickey. And the other three games I randomly went to that were all started by John Neese. <laughs> it was just like wildly unpleasant. To, so I wrote about. It was one of the game recaps one of the game stories I did for BP in the 2015 playoffs. And there's a scene, and I think it's game three of the NL... Yeah, it had to be game three of the NLDS uh, against the Dodgers. And there's a sequence, because Harvey was like... Harvey got knocked around early, and they came back. He was like struggling to get through five. And they do... I was sitting in the media lounge recharging my phone, and they had the game on the TV, and they cut to like the shot of the bullpen, and like John Neese is warming up. Of course. And like, you know, John Neese is warming up. You need, you need some length here. And like, John Neese is like 
I think the line was like, John Neese is a very serious person. He warmed up, he's warming up like very seriously. And then there's just a sequence of like Bartolo Cologne jogging into frame behind him, just like tossing a ball in the air. And I'm like, I think I know who's coming this game, and it's not John Neese. <laughs> Steve, who's your guy? All right, for one of my least favorite Mets, I think I'm going to go with Ryota Irigashi because oh, yeah. honestly, wow. I can't. I can't uh, remember a single moment where he did anything good. <laughs> Everything's just bad. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. It's me now. It's huh? you now, yeah. Okay, so I guess um, there's a personal sort of thing to it. Uh, not an actual in-person personal one, but Sean Markham was a guy who, when they, when they got him, I was like, yeah, this is a look at, the, look at his FIP. He's good. And then he came here, and he fucking sucked. Like, he was just bad. I know he had that one game where he came in in extra innings, and, and sort of uh, it was a didn't he go season, like Didn't he go like four or five yes. innings? Yeah, no, I think yeah. – yeah. But didn't he go personally like four or five innings that game? I think he, I think he went like seven or eight. Did he really? It was yeah. that many? Yeah. Holy he, he shit. He basically okay. pitched like a really good start in that game. But overall – I said good things about him. You could probably still find them on the internet, and he let me down. <laughs> so that's that's my guy. I'm sure there were other people who along the way like annoyed me just yeah. as much. I mean, full disclosure, Justin Turner annoyed the shit out of well, me. Well, that was I was that was my like one B answer. I hated Justin Turner when he was right, in the Mets. Yeah. Although I have to f- fair, I was my brother lives in Arizona. We were at a Diamondbacks game, Diamondbacks Mets game in Arizona, and Terry Collins is as far from me as Jeff is. I just kept saying. Justin Turner has a reversible two split. I just shouted it like constantly at Terry Collins, and he didn't hear me or acknowledge me. But uh, but yeah, fuck just, fuck Justin Turner forever. Yeah, for like five straight minutes, Allison, I just yelled that over and over again. Um, but no, Eric Campbell was my pick. Right? Yes, there was a little spoiler earlier. Here, yes, there yes. was. Eric Campbell, I feel like came up perpetually with two men on and lined out. Every single time, a hard line out to third base, pretty much the entire time he played for the Mets. Um, Soup. He had a good nickname. I guess that's not terrible. It's the only nickname for a good name. It is. Yeah. It is the only nickname for a good name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, anybody have any sort of long shot off season things they want to talk about? Anything they want to see the Mets do that isn't. You know, your standard improve the bullpen, sign Machado, etc. Oh, Jeff is one hand. So this is it's almost like Jeff doesn't have his own podcast and needs to come back here and talk to us, but just, yeah. that's not the case. I think the best un, like sort of the under the radar offseason move they can make is go down to Miami, get the home run sculpture from outside the <laughs> Put it behind the home run apple in center field. Have them both go off simultaneously. That would be something. Um, you feeling good, Chris? I, I feel pretty good, yeah. I feel pretty good about this, too. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, you can find most of us at AmazingAvenue.com. If not, a number of – here, I'm going to pass you, – you have the longer mic cable, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just pass around. We're going to do our Twitter handle, so you can start, Chris. Right. Well, I'm at Chris McShane. I'm at KenLavin91. I'm at Jeff Paternostro. I'm Allison McCaig. I'm at Petite PhD. 
I'm at JF McClooney. I am at staff7998. At Maggie162. Ah! There was no actual party foul because the glass that fell over was empty. I'm Kate. I am at Kate E. Feldman. I'm Tom at underscore Tom Hubert. I'm Steve, and I'm at Steve Saipa. And I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Go to AmazingAvenue.com. And um, let's do this again. This was a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you to Mickler for putting us up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you to all of you for buying T-shirts and buying Yes. Up. Keep buying those T-shirts, guys. It, and, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it, it's hard to believe that 300 episodes have happened. Um, you know, it's, it, it, considering the time that we, that we started actually really having a regular podcast, it's gone really quickly to get to this point. It has. And, uh, Somebody gave us shit about this on Twitter this week, and I'm not going <laughs> to say who, but averaging 35 or so episodes a year is still pretty good. Right, over the course of that span of time, and it's, it's been shorter than that, really. It has um, been, yes. They were not. No, no, <laughs> no. No one's getting cheated on one of our podcasts. Yeah, some of you may have run a national marathon in less time than some. <laughs> some the episodes in the one hundred to two hundred range sometimes uh, really, uh, really hit you know records in terms yes. of baseball podcast length. Absolutely, and and we appreciate that. But uh, but yeah, no. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody who's here today. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Here's to. 300 more? Yeah, absolutely. And until next time, (laughs) and until next time, let's go Mets.